Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ardenfbc.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Good morning, everyone. It's hard to follow that music as an epic thriller. You're just like on the edge of your seats. We want to welcome everyone. Uh, For those watching online, welcome. We're so glad you're watching us wherever you're at. Uh, For those of you who are visiting, we want to say welcome home. Our mission here is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. And what a great start to the new year than starting the year off in church. Amen. So, so grateful you're here. So as I was uh, working on this new series in the book of Revelation, I tested it on my family. So we um, first of all started with my boys. I was in their room and I was trying to talk to a seven-year-old and a five-year-old or six-year-old now about eschatology in times. And believe it or not, they were excited about it. They were asking questions and we got off on a lot of rabbit trails and, you know, boys like to talk about, you know, the wars and all this stuff, but it, it was good. And then night two, I tested it with a bigger group. Uh, Lincoln was asleep, and um, so we had uh, the, rest, the rest of the family there, and um, so I started going a little more in depth, and uh, so all of a sudden, I look around, there were maybe, I think, four people in the audience, it was my wife and three of the children, and I, I, as I was getting ready to say something I thought very profound, I look up, and three out of the four people were asleep. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, I, put, I pour out my heart, put all this effort into it trying to teach my my family the things of God. And so the first one that was asleep was Gabriel. And as as I've told you guys, he has high energy, so he never falls asleep, usually an hour after bedtime. So he was asleep. Noel was hanging off a chair asleep. So that was like REM for sleep. And then you want to know who was awake, right? Well, my wife was the third one asleep. (laughs) My biggest fan, she was asleep. And I'm like, man, I... So in teaching this series, I do with a little bit of intrepidation. I'm going to try to keep you guys awake, okay? So with that, I wanted to thank, um, in preparation for this, uh, we had a few small groups that worked through the text with me. If you're one of those small groups, I want you to stand up briefly. I want to give you a hand. Go ahead and stand up. Glenda, come on, all of you guys. Let's give them a hand. So if, if I misinterpret something, you can blame them because we work through it. Just kidding. So we're going to cover the first three chapters together, and I encourage your feedback. As I said, if if you guys are like, you know, falling asleep or dozing off, then we may pause it. But my goal is to go through the whole book, but we'll go as far as you guys are ready to go, okay? Because Revelation is one of those books, it's like graduate school level for some, but I think it's, it's you can understand it. I think it's one of those things... And we start going through it, you'll be surprised at how easy it is to understand. And some of you are like, I'll believe it when I hear it, right? So we're going to be in Revelation 1, so go ahead and turn there. And as you turn there, I just want to kind of address some things off the bat. How many of you struggle and squirm in your seat when we talk about prophecy? Is that anybody? You don't have to raise your hand. But, you know, I get a mixed bag of emotions. Some are super ecstatic about prophecy and then others of you squirm and you're kind of like, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know. So um, what I want to encourage you is this, that one in every four verses of the Bible deal with prophecy. 
So if you're the one that likes to skip it, you have to skip almost 27% of the Bible prophecy. And uh, so I came up with seven reasons why people try to skip prophecy. So as we, as we get ready to read this, I want you guys to think about these reasons, see if this is one of you. First reason, because crazy people have used prophecy for their own agendas. Have you ever seen certain churches where all it is is prophecy? And we're doing like a five-week study on the red cow in and, and Israel, and you're like, yeah, but I'm having arguments with my wife. What does the red cow in Israel have to do with, you know, and it's like over the top. And it's like some of you have seen extremes where it's all prophecy and no practical. So some of you are like, I've, I've seen that. Second reason, so many people have used prophecy as a scare tactic. They want to scare the you-know-what out of people. How many of you have ever had that happen to you? You're like... The blood flow, you know, there's one certain passage where the blood rises and you're like, you better get saved or that's going to be you. And you're like, you know, so that's that's not a good motive to study prophecy. Number three, many people find revelation simply hard to understand. Many of you would say that's me. And I, I say that that's that's a valid reason. But I would encourage you, revelation is full of symbols that points to things in the Old Testament. So as we look at books like Daniel and other places it's actually meant to be understood. Uh, number four, because most people want practical teaching that applies to today and they're not so concerned about tomorrow. How many of you would say that's you? You want to know how to live a successful life, but you're not so much worried about the end times. That, that's, that's relevant, you're right? But I would say that prophecy is practical, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, because, number six, many people fear what's going to happen and they tend to avoid reading about it. You've heard the saying, ignorance is bliss. Like, I don't want to know what happens. I just want to know that I'm going to be with Jesus. And, you know, so some of us think that way. Another one is because there's so many different views on Revelation, right? Do you view Revelation as something that's happened historically? And all these things that happen later on in Revelation, like chapter 6 through 18, that was fulfilled with Nero and the emperor. Some people have that approach. Uh, I take more of the traditional this is, you know, there were seven churches in that day, but this is prophetic for the future. So we're going we're gonna to hopefully uh, dissolve all those reasons that keep us from studying it. And the goal is first for us to really understand what the scripture is saying. So with that being said, let's jump into Revelation chapter 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Now you've got to pause there and you're like, how many years has it been since this? Almost 2,000 years? Did he get it wrong? I mean, soon? It's been 2,000 years. We'll talk about that. He made it known by sending his angel to a servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written, because the time is near. And we're like, John, how near is it? It's been 2,000 years almost, right? We'll talk about that. Verse 4, John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace from him who was, who is, who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne. And all of a sudden, some of you stop there and are like, see, this is why I don't read Revelation. What are the seven spirits? I thought there was one Holy Spirit. Seven? I mean, what is this? Hold on. We'll talk about it. And verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, 
the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us. I want you to soak that in your soul to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve before his God and Father to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Talking about Jesus. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. And all of a sudden God speaks out. I am Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was, who who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Father, we thank you for your word. As we read this first eight verses of Revelation, help us to understand what it means to us. Bless all those present and those who are watching online. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today's message is called, The Eternal King is Coming Back, Are You Ready? If you knew that something was going to happen at any time, would you be ready for it? How many of you have ever been caught off, off, off guard by surprise by something that happened? You didn't expect it. Maybe a car wreck, like someone ran into you. Maybe something big happened and you just didn't see it coming. Well, the good thing is God doesn't want this to take you by surprise. So I want to give you six truths, six realities of how to get ready for Jesus to come back. So the first truth is this. We serve a God who reveals himself to us to prepare for what's coming. So if you look back in verse 1, it says the revelation from Jesus Christ. This word revelation in the Greek, it means to uncover something that was formerly hidden. It's the idea that there was this mystery that you knew was there, but all of a sudden you take the veil off and you're like, wow, that, that, that's the mystery. And if you look on your listening guide, this is the same Greek word is used of several things, like the revealing of creation in Romans. It's talked about the revealing of the incarnation, Jesus coming to earth, the eternal son of God coming to earth. The sons of God will be revealed one day. So this, this word has been used, and it's the idea something was hidden or mysterious, but now it's known. So here's the idea of revelation. God wants you to know what's coming. And it's out of love for you. He loves you, so he doesn't want his children to be taken by surprise. So the book of Revelation is God uncovering what is to come in the future so that you're not caught off by surprise, but so that you're ready. And notice it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So while so many people talking about prophecy love to talk about 666, what does that mean? What is the mark of the beast? Who is the Antichrist? Apocalypse, the battle of the Armageddon, all that stuff is fascinating. The main person of the story is who? Jesus Christ. In his first coming, he came in humility and incarnation. God took upon him skin and he came down in a lowly manger. The first coming in the Gospels, we see Jesus in his humiliation. He humbled himself, Philippians 2. But when we see Jesus come back again, we see him coming as the conquering king of kings. It's Jesus coming in his exaltation. But notice he says these things are going to happen quickly. And you're like, these things are going to happen soon. You keep reading that and you're like... What is this? Like Jesus has been almost 2,000 years. It's not quick. That's a long time for me. 
Well, you understand time, in the Greek there's different words. One way of understanding time is kind of linear. It's like it's going to happen in the next day or two, the next year or two. That's what we think about quickly. Quickly we think of linear time. But this particular Greek word John uses, it's a, it's a period of time, not linear where it's like next year, next day. But it's kind of like this. Whenever these events unfold, they will happen in rapid succession. So how many of you have ever done dominoes before? You're like, now you're awake. All right, we've got a little video of dominoes. This is going to kind of show you what's going to happen. When the events come to pass... Epic fail. All right, so now you know what that Greek word means. When it happens, it's going to happen quickly. And here's what you see in Revelation. These events happen, and then there's an interlude. Think about those dominoes, the second set that didn't fall. Then it falls, interlude. So we're going to see that throughout the book of Revelation. There's going to be these seven, seven trumpets and seven seals and seven bowls. And you're going to like, what are we talking about? Basically, to summarize Revelation, God is preparing the world as a wake-up call. He is setting eternity in motion. And it's almost like someone's house is on fire and you see your neighbor's house on fire. You beat the door down and say, wake up, you're going to perish. So Revelation is God's wake-up of the nations. It's saying, listen, the time is near, the intensity is turned up, the heat is turned up, so everybody has a final chance to repent before it's too late. So we see a God who reveals himself, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he brings the question, what is prophecy? What is prophecy? Prophecy has really two meanings. The first one is proclaiming a truth. That's forthtelling. That's like, here's what God says. The other aspect is foretelling, predicting something that's yet to come. So when we talk about revelation, most of us think of the prediction, something that's going to happen. God's predicting that which is to come. So when we think about this, he says, John is on the island of what? Patmos. And I want you to think about John. I put a little, uh, little character sketch together. John is probably about 95 years old. So he is nearing the end of his life. He has seen all the other apostles uh, die or be martyred. So he's the only one left. Most all of the other ones have been martyred. Of course, Judas took his life and he was disqualified. But the, other, the others pretty much gave their life for Christ. And here you have John. And what's interesting about John is nobody can kill him. According to historians, they tried to kill John. And they couldn't kill him. One time... According to one of the historians, they put John in a big vat of hot, boiling water. And they tried to fry John to death. And guess what? He, he couldn't die. Why couldn't John die? Because God had a plan for John. And you know what the plan was? By the end of John's lifetime, he would write five books of the Bible through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What are the five books? The Gospel of John, right? First, second, third John, and Revelation. So God kept him alive. But here's, here's the... Here's where the application comes in. What is your Patmos? John was serving God, faithful, the apostle of love, and yet Patmos is this horrible island. It's a horrible, rocky place where they exiled people that were criminals. So you think about it, it's like this is like Alcatraz for us. So they would exile people in this rocky area, 
small little area. So don't think paradise. He's not retiring in paradise. He's basically left on this island to die. So it's like, oh, we can't kill you, John. We're going to exile you to Patmos. So what is your Patmos? What is the place where you're serving God, but yet you have this pain point? Did you know that God can turn your pain into purpose? Did you know that God can turn the worst thing that's happening to you into something greater? So here we have John. I mean, he could have said, Lord, I've served you. I've seen all these other people die. Literally by the hundreds of thousands, Christians are being martyred by Nero and by others. And John could have said, I've seen all this graphic and what's the point? And the church is asking, what's the point? So God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, drops the revelation to say there is a future. I haven't forgotten about you. Yes, times look bleak now, but listen to the revelation of Jesus Christ. So revelation is actually a book of hope for the church. All right, the second reason why we've got to be ready for his coming. Number two, you will receive a blessing if you attentively listen and respond to God's revelation. Look at verse three. It says, blessed is he who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And I use the NIV translation today because it better ter- interprets the Greek. A lot of translation will say who reads, but the Greek has the connotation reading aloud. And here's what happened in that culture. Many people in that culture were illiterate. And so they needed someone to read to them. So the congregation may not could read it because they weren't literate. So John gave this to the, the pastors. Hey, read this out loud. So the idea is read out loud. And I want you to think about this book. It's the only book of the Bible that comes with a prescribed blessing. That if you read it out loud, if you listen and you respond to it, God says, I'm going to give you a special blessing. Now, what is that blessing? Only God knows what he's going to give. So I, I'm like, I don't know about you, but I want every blessing God has. So this is the cool thing about Revelation. As you study, if you read it and you heed it, there's a blessing that's forthcoming. Amen? That's like, I want in on that blessing. Only God knows what he's going to do for you personally. But there is a specific blessing. So over the next few weeks, I want to encourage you to read this out loud. Even if your family falls asleep, just read it out loud. Listen, heed it. Because here's the thing. God wants you to know him. He wants you to follow him. As you follow his plan for today, he reveals his purposes for tomorrow. But it starts with being faithful today. Third reality to get you ready for Jesus coming. God the Father offers grace and peace to his church. So notice in verse 4 it says, John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you. So let's throw the map up, the seven churches, for those of you who are visual learners. So these seven churches are basically in a postal route. It was about a 50-square-mile radius. So now it's hard to imagine postal routes because of Amazon. But what would happen, there were seven postal districts. And in each of those postal districts towards the center, you'll notice, is a city. And this would be for gathering information and disseminating it along that, that city and into the countryside. So what, what God did is through his angel, he gave this revelation to John. And he says, I want you to get this, a copy of this letter to each of those seven churches. So these are the seven churches that existed in that time period. And over the next few weeks, we're going to see what the message was for each of them. So notice he says to the seven churches, grace and peace to you. And I love how God showers grace on us. 
Each of these seven churches are going to have different set of challenges. And some were backslidden. Some were lukewarm. Some were not where they needed to be. But God was calling them back. So if you know of a church that maybe someone goes to that's fallen astray, maybe they're lukewarm, I want to encourage you to pray for them. Pray that they will come back because God offers grace to the churches. He wants them back. And I encourage you, don't, don't write off a church. Pray for them. Don't write off a, 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 like a fire that's flickering and about to go out. Pray that God will reignite that passion and that love because God loves this church. Notice the, the phrase, it says, to the seven churches, and then it says, grace and peace to you from him who is, from him who was, and him who is to come. And you're like, what does that mean? Is, was, is to come. That means that God is always relevant. He is always relevant for all time. And it makes me think of certain songs. Certain songs come in and certain songs go out. How many musicians do we have in the audience? We've got a lot of musicians in this church. Have you ever noticed that certain bands are what we call one-hit wonders? Like they're very excited, but you never hear from them again. So this one goes back to the 90s. We're going to play a little clip and see if you guys remember this song. Walking on sunshine. All right, how many remember that song? Do you remember any other music they produced? <laughs> One hit wonder. All right, I use this example Christmas time with um, the wise men may have traveled up to a thousand miles, and I said there's a song about walking 500 miles, and let's play that. That, that was also One Hit Wonder. All right, all right. So now they, they, they did more stuff in Britain after that, but they never became famous in America. They were a one-hit wonder. So when the Bible says God is, he's saying in the past, God was the greatest of all time. In the present, God is a reality that you need to understand. He is active and he is present. So in the past, he was. In the present, he is. And in the future, he's the coming king that will forever reign upon his throne. So he is relevant. He is the greatest of all time. God is not a one-hit wonder. So when you read that in Revelation, I was in the past, I am in the present, and I will be in the future. God is saying, listen, I am relevant of all time for all peoples, of all nations, of all tribes, and all tongues. I do not go out of style. You cannot vote me out of office I am the reigning king forever. Amen. So he says, I was and I will be. And then it brings up the seven spirits. The seven spirits before the throne. Now what in the world? I I know the Holy Spirit. What is seven spirits? That's why some people get wigged out with revelation. I've always interpreted this as this was the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And that's one possible interpretation because it talks about the Father and it talks about Jesus. So it makes sense this could be the Spirit, right? But that it has the phraseology before the throne. Jesus is on the throne, the Father. What does it mean before the throne? But then as you read later in Revelation, listen to Revelation 8.2. I saw the seven what? 
angels who stand before the before God. To them were given seven trumpets. Now it could be the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So you can't be dogmatic, but I lean more towards this as seven angels. Now you got to ask the question: Are angels spirits? Look at Hebrews one fourteen for the answer. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to those who will inherit salvation? So here's the cool thing about angels. We can't think too much about angels or get obsessed with angels. Some people do. That's called angel worship, and that's forbidden in Scripture. But Revelation is full of angels. So let me give you a little angelology 101. The Bible in Hebrews says that angels are ministers to those who are inheriting salvation. So if you're a Christian, did you know that you have an angel? Hebrews 1.14, angels are sent to those ministering. So you have at least one angel that God sends at times. Some of you, are, that's the only reason why you're still alive, right? And then we read another passage where the disciples rebuke the children for coming to Jesus. And one, one of the Gospels, it says, let the little children come to me. Don't forbid them. It says, for their angels always seek the face of my father. So we, we have another clue about angels. We know Christians have a, at least one angel. But we also see little children have angels. We're not told about unsaved people that haven't accepted Christ, but we know believers and children. So the reason why some of your kids have stayed alive is not just because you're good parents, but a time God had to send that angel to help. Amen. We're there. All right, number four. Fourth reality of getting ready for Jesus' second coming. Jesus offers his love, his forgiveness, an amazing position to his church. So you notice it says Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. That's saying that Jesus was faithful. He never committed any sin. He never made a mistake. He was faithful throughout his earthly life for 33 and a half years. He was faithful. The firstborn from the dead. And you're like, okay, what does that mean? It seems to mean that he's the first one that came back alive. But then didn't Lazarus come back alive before Jesus? Didn't they raise other people from the dead? So what does the firstborn from the dead mean? It literally is talking about not just the first one that came back to life, but the first one that came back to life with a glorified body. See, Lazarus came back to life, but guess what? He died again. The other people in the Gospels and Acts that were raised, they died again. So what happens when you die is your soul and your spirit go immediately to God. They're, 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 in, the, they're in the presence of God for every believer. What happens to your body is it turns into ashes in the ground. So here's the cool thing. I want you to think theology is so rich when you look at it. So when it talks about the rapture taking place and the dead in Christ rising, it brings up a question. Why would God want to raise ashes? If you're already in heaven, why would God want to raise ashes from the ground? It's kind of mysterious, right? And here's, the, here's one of the reasons why. Jesus wants to undo everything sin did to you. Sin messed us up all the way from the floor up. Sin messed us up. So Jesus not only wants to save your soul, he wants to redeem every atom of your body. And for those of you who study science in the past, that's kind of exciting. So every DNA, every molecule, he's going to raise those ashes. And what's going to happen is he's going to make a brand new glorified body. So some of you are like, well, what kind of body are we in heaven while we're waiting on the glorified body? I don't know. The scripture's not fully clear. But I do know that they could recognize Elijah and Moses in the Mount of Transfiguration. So this is just sanctified speculation. I think that God gives you a temporary glorified body until you get your forever glorified body. Because I don't think we're going to be disembodied spirits floating around in the clouds. I think we'll recognize each other. So, so the timeline is when the rapture takes place, that's when the dead people, all the ashes, come back. 
And then they meet Jesus in the air. And if you're alive, here's the good news. If you're alive, you don't have to die. You automatically meet him. So I'm like, I don't know about you, but I would like the rapture to take place in all of our lifetime. That way you get to skip death. How many of you want to sign up for that? I don't want to have to die. Everyone wants to go to heaven. No one wants to die, okay? So then it goes on to say the ruler of the kings of the earth. As saying that Jesus is the only one who is capable of ruling the kings because he is the king of kings. He's the ultimate one in authority. But notice what he did for you. He loved you even when you didn't love, you back, you didn't love him back. He called you. He washed you with his blood. And the Bible says he's made to us a kingdom. What is the kingdom? The kingdom is where you have one king and we're going to rule and reign with Christ. So you're going to have a special position. And notice it talks about a priesthood. Did you know that if you're a believer, you're part of the priesthood of believers? So you can get up in the morning and say, good morning, reverend. Pastor, good morning. You're like, what? You're part of the priesthood of all believers. You don't believe me? First Peter 2.9, it says that we are part of this royal priesthood. What is royal? It means you're a son or daughter of the king. What is priesthood? It means that you get to pray for people. You get to represent God to the people. You get to intercede. So think about that. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. So from now on, you can't walk around saying, I don't know what my purpose is. You're part of a priesthood. You're part of praying for people. You're part of interceding. You're, part, you're like, I don't know what that means. Well, hang with us. We'll talk about what that means. It means that you're bringing people to the light of God. So he's given you this special position. Number five, the fifth way to be ready, fifth reality, is Jesus is coming again quickly, so get ready. Look at verse 7. It says, look, he's coming with the clouds. And you're like, what does that mean? Well, it goes back to Daniel, in the book of Daniel. And I think I have this on your listening guide. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Listen to the scripture from Daniel. This is why I said, Revelation, you've got to go back to the Old Testament. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. What was Jesus' favorite description of himself? Son of man. Coming with what? The clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, talking about God the Father, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So Jesus is going to come with the clouds. So it's literal clouds. It's kind of like Shekinah glory when God shows up and you see this cloud, this manifestation of God's presence. But also the book of Hebrews says that we are surrounded by a great what? Cloud of witnesses. So that's why a lot of scholars believe not only is Jesus coming with the clouds, but we're going to be with him. The church is coming back with him. So think about his second coming. It's kind of stage 1A, 1B. Stage 1A is the rapture. We're up there with him for seven years. Tribulation is happening on earth. And then 1B is when he actually comes down and sets foot on the earth. And that's the coming with the clouds part. He's coming back. So that gets us ready, that gets us excited, and it begs the question, okay, Timothy, how can I be ready if Jesus came back? If the rapture took place, how could I be ready? Well, a few thoughts. Number one, walk closely with Jesus every day. You know, it's been said that if you focus on the do's of the Bible, you don't have time to worry about the don'ts. If you're actively serving Jesus, you don't have a whole lot of time to sin. 
because you're, you're, you're busy about the Father's business. So live each day. I remember when I grew up in church youth group, I remember the youth pastor used to say, be careful what movie you go see. Because if you're watching like a rated R or something bad and Jesus came back, how would you feel? You'd be like, I know I'm forgiven, but Jesus, you know, like it would be so awkward, right? And it's not that you're going to hell if you're a Christian. It's like the embarrassment. And I have so many stories, and you guys have heard them through the years, that Lori goes away and she's having a girls' night out, and I'm trying to keep the kids alive, trying to not have the house catch on fire. She comes back. The house is horrific. It's a mess. And my only response is the kids are alive, right? But I'm ashamed because I kept thinking things are worse off than when she left. And it's kind of like with Jesus, you want to you wanna be progressing in your Christian faith, not you know, regressing, not backslidden where you'd be embarrassed if he came. It's the same type thing. Live for Jesus each and every day and invest in that which is eternal. There are at least two things that will live forever. The first one is the word of God and the second are people. So if you want to make an eternal difference, invest in the things that have to do with the word of God, getting the word of God out there and changing the lives of people. All right, finally, number six. Everything in all of creation begins and ends with God, the Almighty One. Look at verse 8. It says, I am the Alpha and the what? The Omega, says the Lord God, who was, who is, who is to come, the Almighty. So when you think about God saying, I am Alpha and Omega, it's like in the Greek, the alphabet starts with Alpha and ends with Omega. So in our English language, it's like saying he's the A to Z. He's everything. So everything you want to know about life, he is the life. Everything you want to know about which way to go, he is the way. Everything you want to know about truth, he is the truth. He is the A and the Z. He is the totality of everything right and good and true and just. He said, I am Alpha and Omega. And by the way, the Father goes by this description and so does Jesus. At the end of the book of Revelation, he says, I am Alpha and Omega. Because Jesus is God. He's the second person of the Trinity. And then he goes back and says, I was, he is, and he is to come. So as you study the past, you will discover God in history because history is his story. As you're in the present, you sense his presence. That's how you know God is present because he's with you in presence in the present. And then in the future, he is the soon coming king. And with the church, we say, so come quickly, Lord. And all the church said, amen. So let's summarize this. I know we've covered a lot of territory. So the first aspect is we serve a God who reveals himself or what's to come. The word revelation means to unveil. It's a book that's meant to be understood, not hidden. So I'm going to do my best to make it simple and clear. Where there's different interpretations, I'll try to let you know what those are. But I'll keep the focus on Jesus. Number two you'll receive a special blessing if you read and you heed this book. So this week, read it out loud. Receive what God has for you. God offers grace and peace to his church. Even if you've messed up, God treats you better than what you deserve because Jesus took what you deserved. Jesus offers his love and forgiveness an amazing position. So in the morning, I want you to test it. Say, good morning, Reverend. Good morning, priest you're part of this priesthood so that that should change the way you think about how you do your life and how you minister to others jesus is coming quickly so get ready 
live in view of his imminent return. And everything in all of creation begins and ends with God the Almighty One. He is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, and he is in control. When the world is spiraling out of control, he is in control. All right, for those of you whose heads are hurting right now with Revelation, I'm going to summarize it in one sentence, okay? Let's throw the big idea on the screen. Stay ready for the future by living for Jesus in the what? You want to be ready for Revelation, ready for his coming? Live for Jesus in the present, and you don't have to worry about the future. Amen. So three action steps. I already mentioned one. Read Revelation out loud. Read it out loud. A lot of us have always heard just read it, but it's, it's actually talking about reading out loud. And that day a lot of people were illiterate and they needed to hear it, but we also need to hear it even though we can read it. Number two, live like Jesus could come back at any moment. In theological terms, this is called the imminent return of Christ. Imminent means it could happen at any moment. So always be ready. Don't live your life in such a way that if you came back, you would be in shame. I'm sorry, Jesus. I really didn't do anything with what you gave me. And finally, reach out to one person that if the rapture took place, they would not be ready. I mean, think about your family and friends. Do you want anyone going through the tribulation? I don't know about you, but I don't want anyone I know going through it. It's, it's, it's the hardest time, and the church will be delivered before it happens. So I would encourage you to, to reach out to someone this week. Maybe pray for them. And next week, come back, bring a friend. Next week, we're going to talk about death's funeral. Did you know that Jesus killed death? Jesus gave death a death blow. We're going to talk about that next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the revelation of Jesus Christ. As we study this book, there's so many fascinating things to talk about. But the most, the most imminent, most important thing of revelation is a person. It's your son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray that as we study this book, our focus would not be on the mark of the beast. It would not be on just the war that's going to happen at Armageddon. We'll talk about those things in time, but help the focus be on Jesus who is king. Jesus who is the conquering king. That we don't have to fear what's going on in this world because we know who holds the future. With no one looking around, I want to talk to the believers first. If you're like me, when I read this, it it gives me this sense of urgency. I want to be ready. I want to be prepared. And some of us have lived our lives without a sense of urgency. And revelation increases the heat of being ready, sharing your faith. So if you've not really been in that posture of ready for the imminent return, just go and say it at your seat. Just tell God. Just say, God, I'm sorry. I've really not been ready. If you came back today, there would be some some feeling of disappointment in my life. I know that I'd be with you, but I've just, I'm not really fully engaged as I should be in the mission of God. Please forgive me. As you continue to pray, there may be one here today that you've never asked Jesus to save you. And Jesus, he stands at the door of your heart and he knocks, but he's not going to force his way in your life. He's a gentleman. And if you've never invited him into your life, it's really simple. Even a child can do it. It's you of your own free will acknowledging that he is God, he is Lord. God raised him from the dead on the third day and you want to live for him each and every day of your life. Is there anyone here that needs to do that? Just slip up your hand. Everyone has their head bowed and eye closed. Anyone at all? See that hand. Anyone online, just message us. If you've never asked Jesus to save you, right where you're at, simple prayer. Say this prayer. Say, dear God, I believe in Jesus. 
that he died for my sins and he rose again. And right now, I invite Jesus to save me. So go ahead and say, Jesus, I ask you to save me. I ask you to step out of heaven and into my life. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I choose to make you my Lord and Savior and to follow you from this day forward. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We love you and we give you thanks. And all God's children said, amen. And if you prayed that prayer, please come see me afterward. I'd love to give you next steps. So before Joe closes us out, a few fasting instructions. Uh, Some of you get even more uncomfortable about fasting than eschatology, last days. So um, every year we do a fast. And the idea is at the beginning of the year, we give some of the first days and even weeks to to the Lord. And we ask him to bless the remainder of the year. It's kind of like tithing. You know, the Old Testament principle, you give God the first fruits and ask him to bless the rest. We do that with fast and we give some of the first days of the year to God. And we say, God, I want you to protect us this year. I want to draw closer to you this year. I'm giving you these first days so that you can bless the rest. That's kind of the idea. So three options for you. The fast starts today. And there's three options. Option one is a liquid and a media fast for breakfast and lunch and you eat a normal dinner. So liquids means you can have anything you can drink, okay? Not non-alcoholic, please. <laughs> That's the joke, okay? <laughs> We're in a Baptist church. So <laughs> just clarifying, right? Healthy. So think of protein shakes, smoothies, things that will be good for you anyways. And uh, coffee's okay. And then at dinner, you can have a normal, normal meal. And the media part is instead of watching Fox or whatever you watch, Sports Center. You watch spiritual uplifting shows. So you replace the media that you have with uplifting. So for 10 days. So some of you, that's going to be hard, but you can do it. The second option is a Daniel fast. If you want to do the Daniel fast, please let us know. We have a, a Daniel fast document that shows what you can eat. It's basically a vegan diet. Daniel, in the book of Daniel, ate vegetables, drank water. So basically no meat, no sugar. So it, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, it's a tough one. And the third one is you pick your own. God may be leading you to do something different, and that's okay. But the concept is you give something up so you can replace it with more time with God. So that starts today. If you start it tonight, it'll end 10 days Wednesday, next Wednesday. If you started it this morning, it'll end 10 days from now, which will be next Wednesday morning. So wherever you start, it's 10 days later. And please email the church because we've got resources, and we're also going to be praying for you for those of you who are fasting. Pastor Jeff.